Recorded live. Uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm very well. How am I? I'm well, of course, and uh, I'm definitely recovering from uh, such a intense work period. Yes, you do give a lot of time and energy and uh, you create a great deal that benefits many and the key point is restoration and taking time for that. Yes, so that's that's the mode I'm in right now. And uh, yeah, and it's working. Um, Good. Good. How How are you today? Well, I'm catching up with paperwork, and uh, that's always a good thing. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> and I, it's definitely important to find, um, to to energize and invite uh, the staffing that is really needed. Yes, I know. <laughs> yes, you're sort of like a, a many-armed deity getting as much possibly done. And oh my do you Lord. feel support of the universe, or do you want to um, refine the process so that it's uh, with greater ease and grace? Yes, I definitely would like to refine the process. And um, that's one of the things. I have a couple of things I'd like to ask you about today, and that's one of them. Um and another one is I have some questions uh, about some teaching points that I'd like to ask you. And um, I'd like to share with you, I don't think I've really shared this with you, certainly not in depth, but um, a year ago, just about a year ago, I was staying in Renee and Paul's house in Montecito, California, and um i did i tuned in well where am i to go next where am i to and i was really feeling called to the new york area which i've been feeling called to for several years now you know and i lived in manhattan for 10 years and yeah uh, back in the 80s and um you know right in uh I lived on the Upper West Side, and then I lived in Midtown, and um, so very familiar with New York. And my brother lives just outside of New York in New Jersey, and uh, I I spent quite a bit of time in the fall with my brother in his house with his family, and I really I really was sad to leave there and go back to California. For a while, I, I enjoyed being with uh, the family, and um, I particularly my nephew who just turned ten is he's such a light being, uh-huh. such a light being. I mean, when he was seven years old, I, we were watching this movie about uh, it's a wonderful animated movie about uh, the Book of Kells, and it's an adventure story of, of this young boy who was orphaned and went to live with the monks who were uh, creating the Book of Kells. And um, the abbot 
dies, and uh, the monks are very sad. And Mikey looked at me, he's seven years old, he looked at me and he said, why are they so sad? And I said, well, because they really loved him and he's gone from their life now. And he looked and he said, but he's just going back to the light. Oh, my, that is a wise young person. I know. And he's been raised a Catholic. And when when he was doing the preparations for communion and uh, he had to go and confess his sins for the first time and everything, it was a big deal. And I said, so, Mikey, what? What sins do you have? And he's like, well, you know, I remember one time I really got mad at my brother and I uh, yelled at him. And so I'm, I'm, I'll talk about that. And I said, well, you know, we were talking about sin and the nature of sin. And and uh, and I was, in, in my way, I was trying to help him see that there is no sin and he's not a sinner. And um, he just got so bored with the conversation. He's just like, I could tell he was just like, hey, I'm just doing what they want me to do, you know? <laughs> so, um, and he's so kind and loving and generous, and he's, we really enjoy each other. So I really was sad to um, leave um, a year ago and go to California for a few months. And um, so I was tuning in, where am I to go next? And I was feeling, you know, I think I feel I'm going to be doing some work in New York. And uh, amazingly, after 20 years of living in L.A., I still have more people in my database in the Northeast. I'm not surprised because your mindfulness is like that of a Northeaster, especially your awareness of seasons mm. and uh, your no-nonsense just just get it done. Uh, it's your, Of course, you have uh, more resonance with the people in the Northeast. The cold weather uh, either makes you very slow and quiet or very quick and active. <laughs> well, we know which one I am. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well, it, it definitely, um, it definitely is my vibration for sure. And, um, so, but when I tuned in last, late January, I think it was, I got clear as a bell, go to Kauai. And I, at first I was like, Kauai, it's so far away from my family. And, um, but it was clear as a bell, go to Kauai. And so, and I have, while I've been here, I've really not made any friends. Um, a, a little tiny bit of connection here and there, because Kay lived here for a long time and yes. so she has some uh, community here and I, I run into them here and there but um, I've been really relishing the non-social activity of my life and, I, and I've had so much work in the last couple months and, and I made three trips to the mainland so I just was happy not to um, be very social and um, I'm really not very social anymore because I have so much interaction with people through the work that I just, you know, I'm so happy not to have a lot of people in my life extra. <laughs> Tell me about the interaction with the classes. So you have conversations with people um, during the classes or after them. What What exactly is your 
method? Well, um, different classes are different. So one of the things I have is my sacred circle, which is four times a month for an hour. And that's where people pay a membership fee. They subscribe on a monthly basis, and they can ask me any question they want. So they either, yep, they write in questions or they call in questions. And um, it's usually maybe 20 people that show up live. Uh, some people write in questions ahead of time. And um, it's it's nice because I, I don't have to prepare anything. I'm just answering their questions as they come up. And they ask a myriad of questions, but mostly the same kinds of things they are challenged in a relationship or in their body or in their finances and things like that, typical type questions. And uh, But we go very deep. And, uh, and is it is it um, how can I say is the dynamic of the text of Masterful Living or it, is it um, outside any framework? Well, um, I have a class that's called Finding Freedom. It's my seven week boot camp class, mm-hmm. and I created it. I recreated it as an evergreen class, so it's got fifty videos and um, seven or eight audios. And uh, they can do it at their own pace. It has a 400-page workbook. So they can do all those things at their own pace. They have 90 days to do it. And, wow, that's a, that sounds like fun. Sort of like the things that people are suggesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'll, I'll just say as an aside, if you are interested in having me take any of these meetings with you just as a, an observer and then I can, you know, brainstorm more with you or anything like that, I'm, I'm very happy to uh, just whatever I can do to assist you because I know for myself navigating all this stuff is, it's, it's just, um, it, it's a lot. And yes, and you're definitely doing it. And what is important in all of this navigation is a network of uh, supporting minds. Yes. Yeah, it really I is. I appreciate your offer. And I definitely feel that we are in a, a basket of mutual support. And it's wonderful. It is. It really is. It's uh, like I say, it takes a village to raise a minister. It just. <laughs> it really does. It really does. It takes a village to raise anyone. It does. Mm-hmm. It just does. So um, my Finding Freedom class, I used to do it live, and I didn't have all the videos and stuff. I just had maybe 10 videos. <clears throat> and um, and the videos are really the same content as in the class, a lot of it. But it's just here I am in a beautiful setting, and I'm going to talk about one piece. So it might be three minutes, it might be 19 minutes, or somewhere in between. But I'm just going to talk about one little concept that people can apply. So, um, and uh, and it fits together with uh, writing. Uh, in, I call them inquiries that are in the workbook. And so there's a whole variety of things in the workbook. And um, 
So I give the sacred circle to anyone in Finding Freedom for 90 days. So for 90 days, they can ask me their questions every week if they wish. And um, so that supports them in working through the curriculum. So they'll say, you know, I've been trying this exercise you give in the Finding Freedom curriculum, and I'm not sure I'm doing it right. So they can ask me that question. And so most of the people in the sacred circle are, most of them are either people who are in Finding Freedom or who are extending their Finding Freedom access because I give them the opportunity to extend. Finding Freedom is $400. And um, for uh, $22 a month, they can extend their access to it once it expires. And that includes the sacred circle. And then anyone who's in Masterful Living can add the sacred circle for $22. And anyone can join the sacred circle for $33. And it's, again, a monthly subscription. And uh, I have people who've been in it for years, and um, they never call in. They just like to get the downloads and listen. So... (laughs) And I don't make a lot of money with it. I, I It's probably, I get about an income of about $500 a month, and I do four one-hour calls. So it's, it's not a money maker, but it, what it does is it supports the community. And it, it supports people who'd like to ask me questions. And it very much supports, because usually the people who, uh, a lot of the people who do ask questions, they fall into one of two camps. There are either people who are really suffering or there are people who are really applying the work and really wishing to refine it. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, you get the balance of those two kinds of questions for the most part. And so since most of them are in Finding Freedom or Masterful Living, they refer to those teachings. And um, sometimes people take Finding Freedom and then subscribe for extended to the um, sacred circle and finding freedom access for six months or a year or two years, and then they say, okay, now I'm ready for a masterful living. So, How does this relate to the early part of our conversation about your connection to New York? Right. So yeah, I was just answering those questions that you were asking me about how it works and all that. So... Um, uh, when I was on the mainland in November, I, I had an experience where I was in Oklahoma City for just a weekend. That's the only, I went there to teach three workshops, two on Saturday, give a Sunday morning talk, and then a Sunday afternoon uh, workshop. And um, a lot of people came to everything. But, uh, and maybe over the course of the weekend, 100 people came. And the first workshop that I did on Saturday morning, um, it was like there was this gray pallor over everything. And um, when I was looking around the room, uh, people looked like they had just, like they had just all come from a rehab facility or something. like they just had this grayness around them, and um, it 
and I had asked people to come out from behind tables. A lot of them wanted to sit behind tables, and I, I took a lot of effort to create a circle of chairs. And some people were just like, I'm not coming out from behind this table for love nor money, that, so stop asking me. So I I just let it be. But um, those people, a lot of them didn't plan on coming to the afternoon workshop, but they did. And then they came back the next day. They came to the Sunday service and they came to the Sunday afternoon. They hadn't planned on that. They they ended up like, oh, I want to do this all weekend. And when those people walked in the door on Sunday morning for the service, <laughs> they looked like entirely different people. They, you, The rainbow was there and the color was there and the lightness of being. They, they looked like they had taken some magic elixir. And I... I don't think I've ever had an experience where I did something exactly like that, where I worked with maybe 50, 60, 70 people that I didn't really know and who didn't know me, and then I got to see them the next day like that. I just don't think I've ever done something quite like that. And when they, the difference in their whole field was so remarkable to me. It was, they had let go of so much in the workshops the day before. And in those workshops, as you were presenting, what was your intention and what was your experience as you were uncovering them, so to speak, from that fog of greatness? Yes, well, I would say my intention is always to support people in letting go of the false beliefs, the false identification, and to recognize their true nature. And uh, that no matter how entrenched they are in feeling the darkness or the negativity or the false beliefs, that they can let it go in an instant. And that they can have miraculous, lasting healing and that that the space I'm creating is one that will give them an opportunity to literally just lay the burden down okay. and um and to see to see in every sense of that word to feel to see to know to clearly have some connection to the realization that they don't have to pick it back up again okay. they that they have the strength to leave it down and to to be reborn and because i know that's true and so that's the space that i like to create is where they can know it too that we together we know it together and then it's known by all of us mm-hmm. and of course it just requires their willingness and, and the, mm-hmm. those insights they're taking you perhaps back to the mainland. Mm-hmm. So what about that situation where you see the grayness transformed to levity and luminosity? What about that process is resonant with a call or uh, a sense of being in the Northeast again? Well, the day before these workshops, I was walking with my two hosts, who are in Masterful Living for a few years with me now. And they're the reason why I went to Oklahoma City, because they asked me to. 
And um, there were a lot of their friends in that room. And um, we were walking by this lake. And I, I mentioned, I said, you know, I'm really feeling called to go back to New York. I'm really thinking about that. And out of nowhere came this hawk, and it started circling in a very tight circle right over my head. Yes. And so, of course, I knew hawk is my power animal. And um, so I knew right then I said, well, that's a done deal then. I just knew it. I, I just felt the whole download and knew it. So ever since then, what I've been thinking is that I will go and find a home in New Jersey later this year and begin teaching in New York. And what I feel I'd like to do is begin offering uh, maybe three weekends a month uh, forgiveness workshops, level one, two, and three. Oh. Yeah. And just keep repeating that and repeating that and repeating that. And um, maybe I'll do level one every weekend and level two, level three, something like that. To um, Because you can teach so much in the context of forgiveness. Indeed. Uh, because you can also remind people that our consciousness, their consciousness, their views actually shape the reality arising. So to yeah. let go of the concepts of anger or blame is releasing incredible creative potential. Yeah, people need it, want to hear that and to know how. And exactly. to be in association with people who are of the, the mindset to to live with compassion for themselves and others. Exactly. And so many people, they they have this concept that forgiveness means I forgive you, and then it's done. I forgive you. I forgive myself. But that's, that's nothing. Those are just words. Yes. It's nothing. And then, because I've done so many forgiveness workshops, and people will say to me over and over again, I've forgiven this so many times. Why can I not release the burden? And I I have to say, well, you still believe you're right. So (laughs) (laughs) there's no forgiveness in that. Forgiveness is actually saying, "I'm I'm not right. They're not wrong. I'm not wrong. They're not right. This is just, this is what transpired. It's an opportunity for me to learn, to have compassion for myself, for other beings, same thing, and, uh, and to harvest the wisdom and be grateful. Be grateful I can learn. Be grateful I can be more compassionate and to thank whoever contributed to my experience on a cosmic level knowing that I'm not a victim. It, it, it didn't happen to me. It's just that's a perception. What are some of the key ways that you are aware of people shifting from the perspective that things are happening to them to the realization uh, that their mind and emotion and uh, beliefs are inviting certain appearances? Hmm. How are they shifting from one view to the other? Uh-huh. 
I mean, clearly the support of the the circle, the group, and the questions begin yes. the recognition. And then uh, as a teacher, you have certain unique uh, method or or sensing. Right. So I'm inviting you to to take note of your method and the means by which you create a, a space of invitation that people's joy and wisdom can be actualized. So think about it a minute. Mm. Well, it depends on where they start the conversation, what their level of awareness is, what their level of willingness is. Are and, awareness and willingness the same, or are they um, two stems or two roots of the same tree? Two roots of the same tree. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think so. Because the more aware one becomes, if it's clear awareness, the more willing people become. I, it's my sense of it. And so my experience is the majority of people can accept, if you really present it to them clearly, that they made choices. Like if you take an example... Uh, someone goes into a business deal with someone and it falls apart and there's a sense of betrayal and loss. You can say to them, you made choices all along the way. And did you ever have any inklings that this might not go well? Any inklings along the way? And invariably they, they say, well, yeah, I did. I did. I said, did you just say, I don't want to think about that. I just want what I want. I want the good stuff. And so I just don't want to think about the possibility that it might not go well. And, and isn't there an opportunity there to notice when there is a, the recognition there may not be complete congruency, that it also gives you an opportunity to make more clear the vision of what is to be accomplished? Yes. That was a moment of opportunity, that first inkling. Yes. And and also, if we are not clear in our um, design, so to speak, it doesn't fully manifest. Right. So how do you get people to that place of observation? Well, I, I usually, pres- in the moment, I get... Uh, examples. So uh, I'll, one thing I'll do is I'll, I do many different things in a workshop, uh, for instance, where people can talk about how they feel. And um, uh, a lot of times I'll p- put people into pairs or threes or quads 
so they can listen to other people sharing and there's usually at least one person in the group is willing to be authentic and transparent and that will inspire others and um, so they're able to actually begin to admit to themselves some things they weren't willing to admit before. They just didn't want to think about it. They wanted to be able to be angry and upset and blame. And so then moving them into taking responsibility and presenting to them through telling stories or working with particular individuals in front of the group, showing them how taking responsibility for everything just as it is, is not a burden. It's the release of burden. And that taking responsibility means now you don't have to be a victim anymore. You can actually now from that point of taking responsibility, you can harvest the learning from the experience. Because if you're willing to say, I have these judgments, and these judgments are blocking my learning from what happened, because I think I know what happened, I think I know what should have been, what could have been, what might have been, and as long as I am thinking those thoughts, I'm not open to a revelation of insight and wisdom and truth. And only the truth is going to set me free. Nothing else can possibly set me free. Nothing. That no restitution, no apologies, no nothing can actually really set me free the way moving into what was my part in it, I'm accepting responsibility, and I'm going to release the judgments. And that's true forgiveness. And the hardest thing for most people is forgiving themselves for ignoring the guidance, for making the choices, for being greedy or manipulative or whatever it is. You know, or the the woman who was raped, she has to forgive herself for letting him in the door or, uh, you know, uh, what, this is, it's almost always self-forgiveness is the hardest part. So I do a, a big chunk on self-forgiveness and I actually put them through an exercise where I ask them to make a list of judgments against themselves and uh, that they hold and then I have them partner with one other person and um, they switch lists and um, so their partner actually uh, pretends that those are their judgments and so, like, let's say the, uh, the one Nancy's judgment against herself is she can't forgive herself for having had an abortion. So now uh, Wilma has got her judgment. She says, Nancy, I just can't forgive myself for having had an abortion. And uh, I just judge myself so badly for it. And Nancy can look, well, does she judge Wilma the way she judges herself? Does she hate Wilma for that? Or can she say to Wilma, oh, Wilma, I totally, I understand. Yes, I have compassion for every other woman who's had an abortion but myself. And and then they can say, oh, yeah, why am I treating myself differently than I would treat a total stranger? I have more compassion for a stranger. And so that is a very powerful um, healing tool it's also a, a tool of liberation so that the creative energy in a person can be freed from uh, the lock of the judgment and yeah. so after that is experienced then 
what do you show and what do you want to um, refine or convey in your teaching method? Yes, usually after that point, we will uh, harvest the wisdom and do some group sharing, and people are so much lighter after that. And... um, and they're able to really look at what are the opinions and judgments against themselves that they still might feel unwilling to let go of. And, uh, but now they see, oh, there's, I, c- I could do that maybe, you know, or I could think about it maybe. And so usually after that point, uh, I, I spend the first part of the workshop really getting them to see that judgment is the thing that's, the unforgiveness. That is what unforgiveness is. It's clinging to the meaning you made of it. It's clinging to your version, your interpretation, which is completely an illusion. Because until you can see through all directions of time and space and you have expanded awareness, you just don't know what anything is for. You don't know. You just think you know. But every day we think we know what things are for and we're completely wrong. So, you know, why cling to it if it's making you miserable? Where do you want to go with the the power of judgment in terms of actualization in your life, your experience, your teaching, your service? Because uh, judgments are powerful energy Mm -hmm. and somewhat a Sagittarian energy. Mm-hmm. So, as a, as a teacher, there is also the analyzing of one's own method. And so, how is this seed of wisdom and understanding of um, un, unlimited, unlocked, uh, where the judgment has become some path of skillful action, how is this being called into the next three days, three months, three years of your life? Well, it's the cornerstone of what I teach, and it's the cornerstone of my own inner work is to see clearly, know, feel, hear clearly, and surrender all attachments, which are what the judgments are, and to also really move into that space of consciously creating that which I desire more effectively. And so I'm I'm definitely still doing lots of deep clearing. And uh, one of the things that I have had a pattern of that I started to see it's still there showing up is this pattern of um, expecting people to disappoint me. Oh. That is pretty difficult. Yep. And so I think, you know, there was a 
a turning point when I moved into um, having releasing expectations. Uh, And so I hadn't noticed any expectations that people would disappoint me. But I I had uh, some disappointments with my brother and his wife and and then that's when it came back again and I realized oh, I do expect them to disappoint me. I do. It's still there. And do you understand the power of the mind to magnetize results? Sure. And I do. So it is wise that you are uh, observing and capturing the rendments or the the echoes within the energy body of those expectations. And I think replacing, whenever it arises, that hidden expectation of people disappointing or, or not fully um, communicating, I invite you to hold the vision, energize the vision of your full participation. Mm. That you, it's your full participation in activity is not dependent on others. It is supported by others for sure. Right. Um, and this uh, expectation that people will disappoint will certainly manifest itself because energy follows uh, thoughts and emotions. Right. So to replace, oh, what appears as a disappointment, even when momentarily experiencing it, contemplate, oh, what would be the ideal I would express and want to share and uh, communicate with them or whatever appears to be the source that is disappointing. Mhm. Mhm. I understand. Yeah, it's like shifting the perspective. Mhm. So, oh, I think people will, um, like, there's the old Indian thing. Yeah, people will try to take your land. Well, yeah. that sort of replaced that with the the land is wondrous and people enjoy visiting and are renewed when they come here. Um, You replace it with the ideal of relationship and action that you want. So first it is um, almost mechanical Mm -hmm. and it changes the energy in the field. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that I don't do enough of that and that uh, I because I've really been thinking about this move to New York it truly feels like the right thing for me and I'm I've observed that I've pretty much avoided having too much responsibility for a community uh, although I have a lot of responsibility, but it's different when, as you well know, when you have a center, you have a place, 
you have, you know, the responsibilities of people showing up, not showing up, opening the doors and doing all the things, maintaining the equipment and all these things. And um, right now I have very little volunteer assistance. And so people either do the work for hire or they don't do the work. And uh, it's a different kind of relationship. And um, what, what would you like? Yeah, exactly. Well, I... What I feel called to do is to really create an organization where I can be teaching and training teachers, but not not administrating it. Uh, being the vision holder and having a very strong operations manager who also is a vision holder, who also likes to do the administration, is willing to do that with um, a very high... Uh, intention and uh, and clear-mindedness and so that is what I would like and I you know I, I watched Michael Beckwith for so many years and I saw that agape became this burden to him yes and it became a big burden to him. He wanted to get away from the politics of the inner, you know, and just the people who just didn't do a good job. And so many people would be hired because they needed work, not because they had the skill set to do the job. And then they didn't have blah, 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 blah. And, um, and well, you know. Well, that is definitely part of a faith-based community. Yeah. There And there are some communities that are service-based that I invite you to look at. One of them is called Housing First and Pathways to Housing. Okay. And uh, after I I have to go go out later, but tonight I can email you their contact. Uh, They seem to get it done with uh, more ease than one finds in a faith-based organization. And they're actually working with mentally ill people ah. who become um, healthy. Wow. So one of my projects is a, a veterans project. And so I send people to investigate how they're doing it. And I also know the, I met the founder of the organization who initially energized it with his family's wealth. Uh, and it, it really does good things. So there, I share this with you because there is, there are models right. that uh, are in the world that are a bit different from the experiences we have seen among church organizations. Right. And so uh, I would investigate, okay, what's the distinction mm-hmm. between um, a faith-based organization and a service organization and or an educational organization? So another one to look at 
who actually does things quite similarly to you, and I would say is using the same formulas for success, to take a look at Mary Morrissey also. Yeah. I, I tell you, I hesitate with her because um, I had a friend, two friends who signed up for a program she had. It was a $10,000 one-year program. Yep. And uh, both of them felt that it was way overpriced and not worth it at all. Um, and uh, it was reading books and discussing them, and then I think once a month, a 15-minute talk with her one-on-one and she has the same uh business advisor as that who who is working with me now so that's good feedback to hear and yeah and my one friend when she realized what the program really was she as i recall and i i may not be recalling it correctly but there was something where she said i i don't i don't want this is not what i'd like not what i thought it would be and so i'd like my $10,000 back, and Mary promised it to her personally, and and she just, no matter what she tried to do to get the money, she couldn't get it back. And then, of course, you know that Mary had that experience where her husband was a swindler. Yes. Yeah, and they, they had a church. Okay, so that's good insight. So there's someone who moved from a church model a mm-hmm. uh, non-profit model and is creating, uh, has created a new organization based on the principles, you called it the spigot, and the the principles she's using, I intuit, are the funnel. Well, yeah, that's, I, I, I didn't call it, I, I don't remember using the word spigot, but yeah, funnel is a typical marketing uh, model. Oh, many years ago when you were beginning your oh. work, yeah, you you talked about a hose and a spigot and widening the flow. I think, ah. yeah. Okay, I don't so remember. I remember it because I thought it was a very clear vision, and mm-hmm. you are accomplishing it. Yeah. And so now you are ready for. The next stage. Yes. And so what people, what kind of people do you want? Do you want to just lease a space? Uh, You go there with your equipment and leave or lease a space like a studio that has everything there and you come and go. Uh, That is certainly less um, energetically stressful. Right. And it gives you a chance to test out um, how people uh, want your teachings. Yeah. Yep. So do you have a clear vision? I... I have the expanded vision. I have the feeling of it. I feel the energy of it. I haven't drilled down into the details. So what, tell me the feeling. Well. Who's calling? Who do you feel? And what do they want? 
and how do you each grow together? I... It's interesting. When I was in my 20s, Venerable, and I first started meditating, I had this numinous experience that just, it shook me so deeply. I never had an experience like that prior to that, where I felt raised up and I had was given this vision of me dressed like Jesus or Mary in robes hovering over a cityscape. Uh, that felt like Midtown Manhattan to me. And um, I was like this giant Mary figure, Jesus figure in robes, and my arms outstretched. And what I heard, as I remember it now, was I heard, heal yourself and you can help millions. And my, my thought was immediately, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm not worthy of that. I just... I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. And so I just said, no, I don't want that. And the voice or whatever said again, as I remember it, you don't have to, it's yours if you choose it, heal yourself and you can help millions. And I just felt completely overwhelmed by it. I, If I had one do-over in my life, I would like to be able to just do that over and just say, you know, this thought terrifies me, but tell me more. But, well, uh, I would say now is the time to yeah. redo that. Yes, and that's, that is where I am. Now I'm in the tell me more, and I, I'm, I'm moving, I'm really releasing all the thoughts that I have to make it happen and uh, really moving into the knowing of allowing it, holding the space, creating the energetic container uh, with my thought and belief and in enrolling others and holding the container too. And that uh, what what I have felt for many years is that I could do forgiveness workshops with a thousand people or more in a room and that they could be powerful transformative workshops and that um, they could be taken out and done all over the world and to go into areas where there's still tremendous anger and resentment and to help people break it down into true forgiveness. And that's because it's such an opener when people can release the resentment and the shame and the blame. And so that's why I feel offering the workshops week after week after week and letting the word spread, hey, this really helped me, this really helped me. And then moving into doing uh, some kind of a a service, a talk, uh, maybe on Friday nights, maybe on Sunday nights, not church, but inspiration and fun and enjoyment. A lot of people are missing the joy. And uh, and I'd like to have more joy too. And, um, and then creating a space where we can have classes for people who would like to teach what I'm teaching, training teachers to go and teach it. This is a very, this is clear. Yeah. So um, next check out the facilities available for um, renting on a daily basis. Yeah, I'm going to start with calls next month 
where uh, enrolling people who are in my database who'd like to be a part of this, that we could ha come together maybe every two weeks and just on the phone I can lead them through a visioning uh, like Michael Beckwith taught me where we tune into what is the vision that we're being called to fulfill? What is our part in it? And so that people can feel that vibration and get their own downloads and and create the community long before I get there. Yes. Well, the community is there. It's just a matter of it's connecting with each other. Exactly. And so creating that foundation. So, um, yep, that's... And I just, I do feel... I, I'm, I'm mindful of this. I, 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 I'd like to be able to do this, and I know that it can be done in such a way that I don't feel burdened and trapped. So that's because yes. I do feel a little bit of that with all the administration. Um, I, I try not to energize it at all and say, no, it's expanding, it's expanding, but... Uh, yes, you, it, yeah. a team is is called for. Yep. And a team wants to be. Yeah, yeah. So, Jennifer, three key points that you will carry with you, contemplate, and uh, work with towards tra uh, actualization? Well, uh... One is to uh, eliminate any anything that could get in the way that's in my field, uh, and including this pattern of expectation to be disappointed, um, and to begin these visionings and reaching out to other people and expanding the vision, holding it more clearly because I haven't put a lot of energy into that yet because I, I've just been totally focused on my work uh, that I needed to get done. Uh, but really expanding into the vision and getting a more clear download and being really clear about how would I like to live? You know, because my yes. life, life I, I, yes. I, I can live here in Kauai forever. It's idyllic. It's it's as yummy as it can possibly be, but I I'm built for a life of service, and I know I can be of greater service. And there's nothing that will fulfill me except that. So it's not about just having a nice idyllic life. That to me is the ideal to be of the greatest service possible. That's the ideal, and that's the thing that excites me and that I'm excited about. And I honestly I also feel like I'm going to be a husband, which I very much like to do. I'm, I'm sure there is someone who can run with you, darling. I know. And I think, you know, New York is a good place to find him. And um, But I had, I had another question I'd like to ask you. Uh, uh -huh. I, I, I don't want to take too much time because I know we're past time here. But um, one of the things that uh, I... Uh, teach about is spiritual qualities, 
wholeness, constancy, abundance, purity, freedom, joy, wisdom, love, etc. That these spiritual qualities are our true nature and that the teaching of seek first the kingdom which is within and all else will be added unto you. The all else added unto you is understanding that your nature is abundance, your nature is wisdom, your nature is freedom. That in truth, you're already as free as you can ever be. And it's about realizing those spiritual qualities as your very nature and then expressing them and tapping into them. So uh, I started looking at uh, patterns of upset, confusion, fear, judgment, worry, self-hatred, lack, jealousy, doubt, etc., and thinking that um, each one of these upsets is definitely, there's a block of a particular spiritual quality. That is a good way to look at it. Yeah. And, and, and to to analyze and break it down uh, in terms of acupuncture, uh, Buddhist view, there are pathways that become occluded by certain views. So you're looking. Opening the heart is wonderful. Then uh, changing the patterns within your body-mind is the activity. And it begins with replacing that behavior which is not carrying you well or keeps you in a small, shallow circle, visualizing its ideal, awakened state. How do we want it to be? Yes. And I I wondered, so for instance, if someone has confusion, Mm -hmm. um, then they're they're blocking clarity. Uh, so the antidote is, in part, discernment. So we have to be willing to give up the view that I've been hurt, I've been wronged, or I've been stupid, that it's those kinds of thoughts that create the confusion. There's there's a refinement to this that I, I'd like to get into, and um, I wondered if you had anything you could point me to. Uh, yes, I've... I do. The the first step in recognizing things as they are to mm-hmm. unwrapping the threads of confusion are literally to pull them and replace them with the threads of the ideal. First, it's an intellectual process. And then more and more it becomes a state of being. Right. And I wonder also, is there uh, a, a native teaching, a Buddhist teaching about these spiritual qualities and uh when we experience worry or shame or self-hatred at the it, yes the, mm-hmm. it, very simply when you 
when someone has the experience of shame, recognize that they have the good fortune of living, and that means they are worthy. When people feel the energy of anger, to consider that anger is the other side of love and what is the love they need and the love they want to create. Yes, that's very clear. And I I wonder if there's a teaching on, say, all of these... uh, There is. Yeah. That's part of what I'm devising for the coming year. Um, and to to place it in a a language to take it out of the context of Native American and Buddhist spirituality mm-hmm. is what I'm is what I'm uh, is my growing edge. Well, great! I guess we're tuning into the very same thing. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was actually going to this this year. I'm going to take one spiritual quality for each month of the year. And uh, so, uh, gosh, we can certainly align on that. Yes. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and corresponding it for my more advanced students to the sacred rays. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, it's a little different, the perspective I'm looking at. I'm looking at it from the the physical foundation or the mind's foundation of physical expression, which then comes through and is expressed through the uh, meridians in the body. And what goes on in the body's meridians also uh, is projected into the field. And what is potential wisdom and joy in the field is received through contemplation and mindfulness into the body. Yes. Yeah, well, we're very much uh, aligned here this year. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) these are the same things that I've been thinking about, too. And one of the things I'm going to do this year is, uh, which I've never done in Masterful Living, I've always shied away from it. I'm going to do a whole month on Loving the body and healing the body. Mm-hmm. And, I uh, think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yes, and springtime is a good spring and summer. Yeah, I'm going to do it in uh, March. And uh, for the same reason, spring cleaning. And, uh, and I won't be traveling then. And uh, I found a book called Clean. And um, it's... Um, I think it's really good, and if if you're interested, I'll send you a copy of it. It's it's got a 21 day cleanse program. Sure, I um, in my early years that was a great part of uh, my teaching and uh, my life experience and exploration. So I'd like to see what is being shared these days. Thank you. Yes, and um, I so welcome your participation. And I had said to Molly if she wanted to um, teach a, a portion on nutrition or something like that, and she could potentially get clients, and so we could 
uh, I'm happy to collaborate in you know a way that works for you if you have a vision of that. And so I'll send you this book. Aha. Uh-huh. And um, remind me if I send you from Amazon.com, they come to your house, right? Yes. Okay. Um, because I don't oh, know. it's one eight eight. Mhm. Purinton Road East. Okay. Lincoln, Vermont. Yep. Zero five four four three. Okay. Um. Yeah. Well. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate your time and the opportunity to speak with you, and this is one thing I'd like to. Uh, do this year's have more uh, time like this where I can ask you some, you know, questions related to teaching. Wonderful. Yeah. I look forward to continue sharing in this way. Yes. Thank you so much, Venerable. You're welcome, Jennifer. See you in the light and bye for now. Bye for now. See you in the light.